everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Most people are just dreaming. Like everyone thinks it's impossible to make it in Hollywood, and it's hard. But most people are just going to dream about it. You have to understand that. Very few people are actually going to do the work. Do the work, and you already have a huge advantage. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having fun this summer. I'm very excited today because you're going to hear part two of two with Michael Jammon, a really, really phenomenal writer, showrunner, who is incredible, has great insight, not just on live action television, but animation, what it's like to work with another person, a writing partner for many, many years, and just work with some of the greatest people in the business. I really have a lot of respect for him. Before I get started, I just want to let you know, thank you so much for all your support. As always, you guys are amazing. And if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram or at BarryKatz.com. When I think of Michael Jammon, I think of a guy who has many, many things going for him that help him become successful. Number one, not afraid to work alone not afraid to work with a writing partner. And when he does work with a writing partner, can keep the relationship going for decades. Number two, equally adept at many skills, not just writing, creating, producing, but also working on live action, scripted television, and animated television. When you're working on shows like King of the Hill or Beavis and Butthead or Glenn Martin DDS or Brickleberry, you're doing something special and you're working with the best writers, the best creators, the best people in the business, best voice talent, best everything. And you have to know your shit and to be able to keep getting job after job after job in that area. Also, in live action, you also have to do a great job. You also have to be able to work with great people and be able to show them that you're valuable so you can get to the next level. And also be able to continue working with great people. He worked on Just Shoot Me with David Spade. If he wasn't valuable, 
Do you think he would have been hired for rules of engagement with David Spade? Doubtful. And these are the things that mean something. Next, he's not afraid to create projects that are solely for him in front of the camera, even though he's probably never been in front of the camera that much or if ever. But he has an idea, he goes for it, he makes it happen, and he sets it all up, does the work, and now it's opening in Los Angeles in a theater. And lastly, he's not afraid to start something from nothing, like social media, where he had zero followers before he started, and eight months later he has 250,000 followers. It's an incredible accomplishment when you know that there's endless possibilities. You don't have to just be in one lane. You can work in multiple areas of the business, show people you're valuable in all areas, and be like a Swiss army knife in your career and be able to do so many different things that are able to make you happy, fulfill you creatively, and add value to many, many people in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. And if you can figure that out and make that happen in your lifetime and in your professional endeavors, I guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Michael Jammin has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. It's important to probably share with the audience and go way, way back to where you grew up. What was the dynamic between you and your family, the economics of the whole situation? And what was your first inspiration to getting into the business of writing? I, I so I grew up in New York, New, uh, about half hour north of the city. My parents were divorced. They got divorced when I was like uh, around, I think, 15. But uh, I think I saw the writing on the wall when I was around five. <laughs> there was a lot of fighting in the house. Everyone loved each other, but there was not a lot of group love. We had dinners where like we had we had dinners on Friday night. We all ate together. I mean, no one said a fucking word. <laughs> hey, I, I, I used, to, used to call that the dining dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my, you know, my parents are wonderful, lovely, lovely people, but they have, of course, their own, they, are, they had their own horrific childhoods and they didn't know how to break that cycle. Um, <laughs> so my, you know, my dad had that, he had a difficult child and my mom was, her father ran off. <laughs> so, uh, and had left leaving her with her mom. And so my grandmother was not the easiest woman to get along with. So there was all that. <laughs> you don't want to have those people. You don't give those people kids. And so that was me and my sister. <laughs> but, uh, I remember watching Cheers with my uncle, uh, you know, when I was in high school and thinking, oh, man, I want to be the guy who writes lines for Norm, not even knowing, like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, you don't just write jokes for Norm. Uh, but then years later, I, I you know, moved to Hollywood and, and I broke into TV and I wound up getting a job on a show called Out of Practice, which is a wonderful show. And it was shot on the same soundstage that Cheers was shot on. And I was like, ah, I, I made it. I just got here 10 years too late. So your first job was alone? It was alone? What? 
I'm asking, was your first job uh, as a solo writer? Oh, my no, my first, well, it's hard to say what my first job was. My very first job, I wrote infomercials for Dion Warwick Psychics Friends Network. <laughs> Which if you remember, that was like the butt of every joke on like Saturday Night Live. So I wrote, I wrote that for uh, about six months. And then I became a joke writer on a morning TV show called Mike and Maddie. And I did that for another six months. And then I met my partner and we teamed up. And then together we sold an episode of Lois and Clark. Where'd you meet him? We were both signed independently uh, at an, by an agent, um, Beth Uffner. I don't know if you, if you remember her. Uh-huh. And, and, um, and then so she wound up dropping us. And then, but we teamed up. We teamed up through her. And so you team up and then your first job together is what? Is it the Lois and Clark thing that you wrote? The you, freelance. You, you, wrote, so you wrote a spec script and they bought it. Well, I was, I was the assistant to two showrunners uh, for about a year and a half. And then I left. And then they wound up taking over Lois and Clark. And I reached out to them. It was just Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming. And they were so gracious. I was like, hey, can we pitch you ideas? And they could have said no. Uh, but we, they, we went in with five ideas. And they, they bought one. And it, it turned out to be a really good episode. But um, that was a big break. That was a one. And I'll always be grateful for that for them. But then, you know, that was just a freelance. And then we wound up writing more. My partner and I wrote spec after spec. And then we finally got staffed on Just Shoot Me. And that was really the beginning of our career. I think a lot of people listening want to know how they break in to the writing world. How do they get that writer's assistant gig? How do they get that first thing that pays $6 in a bucket of chicken, but they're in and they found their affiliation? You know, back when I broke in, there was no internet, there was no social media. So I kind of came in the tr- traditional way. But so I got a job as a, you know, as a production assistant. I worked on a number of shows as a PA. And that was just about sending out emails and re- or not emails, but resumes, hard letters. This was no email back then. And then, you know, hustling to try to get that first job. And then you get one, you got a break. You only need one. But for today, yeah, a writer's assistant is a, is a great job. But I'm not quite like as a showrunner, I'm not qualified to be a writer's assistant. Like I'm not exactly sure how they do their job. So it's not an entry level job. You have to get trained. Uh, so you work usually start as a production assistant. And then you you kiss the butt of the writer's assistant and say, hey, tell me how to do your job so that when you're sick or when I murder you, I can take your job. OK, yeah. so so let's just take you as an example. So you didn't do that. You, you were a production assistant, but you didn't get the writer's assistant job for that person i never never did yeah so then that that wasn't the way that you got in i got in the old the old old old-fashioned way which is we my partner and i wrote spec spec scripts together and we wrote one that was good enough that our agent submitted uh and it landed on the desk of steve levitan when he was staffing to shoot me so thank god how long from the moment it was submitted to when he read it and responded I don't know. Like he, I know his assistant Marjorie read it first. His assistant was a good, like he must have had a stack of scripts, and it was a pilot at the time. They just got picked up, and she read it, and she was, oh, here's a good one. She passed it on to him. I don't know how many. I, you know, I imagine it was less than a month between when the desk because he doesn't. You don't have much time to staff a show. And he hires you in the baby writer slot because most people hire you in that minimum wage writer spot because yeah. there's two of you. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. So comedy teams have an advantage for that baby writer slot. I think so. That was where that was our thinking was. Yeah. I have one other thing I want to ask you in this lane here because I think it's important. Tell our audience how you handle the situation when there's somebody who's immensely talented like beyond 
gifted as a writer. Yeah. But they're just a bad vibe. A bad vibe. They're brilliant. Oh. They're incredible. But you have a team of people and oh. they just don't fit yet everything they write is insanely phenomenal well, how do you Howard, handle that unfortunately we haven't had too many horror stories where you have a showrunner who's really just mean very very good but just mean i haven't had that experience i don't think i've been so lucky because it'll put you pit in your stomach it really will make your life miserable but what i thought you were going to say was the beginning part which i, I think is also interesting is that i thought you were going to say how do you handle when you you're in a room and there's a writer who's so immensely talented and you feel like I can't even come close to them because that that's how I felt the first season of Just Shoot Me where the writing staff was so fun. What a room it was. Everyone was so funny and so quick and we're pitching on jokes and I'm busy laughing. They're pitching jokes and I'm laughing and I'm not getting paid to laugh. I'm getting paid to contribute. And I remember having this moment of panic after like a couple of weeks, like, uh-oh, I'm not contributing here. I'm just laughing and they're not paying me to that. And I remember talking to Marsh McCall, who's a mid-level writer on Just Shoot Me, and he passed a few years ago, but he was the showrunner on Conan for, for many years. And I remember confiding in him and he gave me wonderful advice, which really changed everything for me. He said, when we're pitching on a joke, he goes, you're never going to beat all those people there. You're never, they're too fast. You're never going to beat them. If you try to go down the road, if you try to race them, if you try to go over the, the same wall that they go over, you can't climb that wall because they're too fast. You have to go around it. You have to dig a tunnel, on, tunnel underneath. He goes, basically what he was saying was, there's more than one way to find something funny in the moment. There's more. And I was just, my, my mind was like, oh, no, no, there's, there's just a joke. There's one joke there and I have to find it. I have to be the one who gets it. And he's like, no, no, open your mind. You don't have to go that way. There's so many different ways. And then when he said that, I was like, oh, so there's more than one way to make something funny. <laughs> it's like, it just hadn't occurred to me. I was young, uh, but that was so liberating. It was so like, oh, and then I became, after a while, I became that guy. I became the guy who would beat people to the wall or around the wall because, you know, I realized that you don't have to climb the wall. You can go around it. You can dig underneath it. I think in stand-up, I also find that all the time. And I, I so loved from when I first started seeing people who, could go around the wall or under the wall. Yeah. And I'm gonna share this with you. I don't even know why, but I am. There was this comedian that I heard was coming to town, like you said, in Boston, before internet, before anything. So the only way you were gonna find out who they were was to go see them. But yeah. the reputation was this guy is amazing. You gotta see it. And just like any Marsh McCall, when I work with him, he's just an amazing guy, like great, great advice. And when I talk to comedians, I think to myself of this first minute I saw of this comedian and just how what you're saying rings true and the way his mind worked wasn't necessarily the quickest or whatever it was, but he established who he was, what his character was, what the brand was and what you were gonna get from him. And his name was Kenny Rogerson. And he did Letterman, but he, I presume he was a guy who suffered from maybe drinking a little bit too much and maybe doing partying a little bit too much. Uh, and that's what probably might've derailed him. But this is the first, I remember going to see him at a place called Stitches where Kevin Meany, the late Kevin Meany and Steve Sweeney were hosting a show called Sweeney Meany Night. 
And I, this is all going to come full circle to what you just said. And you tell me if I'm mm-hmm. right or wrong or losing my mind. I hope I can remember this. This is 35 years ago. Gets on. He says, hey, everybody, I just want to tell you a little about myself. I think I have a drinking problem. Uh, driving over here tonight, I, uh, I hit a lake. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking I must have a problem if I hit a lake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little disoriented. I get out of my car. That's the first thing, hitting a lake. So right. I just thinking to myself, what is every comic going to say that's quick? Right. There's one comic from Boston who said, I hit an elk, but I felt really bad because the guy was wearing a plaid leisure suit. You know, right. there's everybody who does a thing, right. but a lake. So the word lake, boom, yeah. and the visual of a car hitting a lake. Yeah. And how drunk do you have to be during the day <laughs> yeah, to right. hit a lake? And then what kind of a person do you have to be to drive drunk during the day that you're drinking during the day? Right. But it doesn't stop there, Michael. So yeah. this is the going around or underneath. Next line. I get out of my car. I'm a little disoriented. I notice this guy swimming in the middle of the lake. He's yelling, help, help. But he must not have needed me because he stopped after a while. (laughs) Boom. Just like establish the character of this guy unaware, fucked up, whatever. And then the final part of the minute, which just incredible to me. You know, I should have known today started off. It was like the worst day ever. I found out my girlfriend was killed. I had to go down to the morgue. They pull out that huge tray. The sheet is over her and she pops up and she says, surprise, happy birthday, Kenny. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, God damn, I can't believe I fell for that two years in a row. (laughs) And so what I remember from 35 years ago was this guy, his mind went in a different direction than the rest of the world and even though he wasn't as funny as some of the guys like you know set up punchline set up punchline fast he figured out a different way to go around the wall under the wall and really inspired me as a young person in the business like wow if you can meet somebody who can be clever and write like that and have a darkness, but also create their brand and character. Right. Amazing. And when you tell me about that story, that's where I go to because these guys in Boston who were already established and they were just these fast, just punching away. I think he saw that and heard about that and said, you know what? I'm going to show you that it can be done a different way. Yeah. And you didn't even know, like, from, I didn't even know you could go other ways. I thought you had to go the way everyone was going. So yeah, that's creativity. It's wonderful. That's a good, it's a great story. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, 
and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Tell me what comes to mind for you. Guilty. <laughs> David Spade. Oh, I work with Spade twice, once on Just Shoot Me and once on uh, Rules of Engagement. And Spade is just a pro. I mean, so you pitch him a line and he goes, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and you go, okay, you want me to change it? He goes, no, I'll, I'll try to make it work. And then on show night, Whatever it was, he would take it to the 10th degree. Like whatever, whatever his problem was that he thought he didn't like this line, he would blow it out of the water <laughs> and just go with so much bigger than what you thought and be hilarious. And so, you know, he, he was very, very fun, easy to work with. Henry Winkler. Oh, Henry, you know, Henry has the reputation of being the sweetest man in Hollywood. And he really is. We, I worked for him on Out of Practice. And of course, you know, growing up, he was the Fonz. He's the coolest man on TV. And then now he's just like this sweet old Jewish man who calls you Booby. <laughs> <laughs> Ty Burrell. Ty, Ty is a wonderful guy. I worked with him a couple of times, once on uh, an animated show and once, of course, on Out of Practice. Just a, just a really down-to-earth, sweet guy with an incredible sense of humor, just like a home run hitter. For, for comedy. Mike Judge. Mike is, you know, again, worked with him a couple of times, King of the Hill and uh, Beavis and Butthead. A very quiet, soft-spoken guy. Just brilliant, brilliant artist, musician, writer, performer. Like, the guy does everything. You know, amazing. Steve Levitin. You know, Steve, I, I owe my career. I owe my career to Steve. I owe my, my marriage because he cast my wife on Just Shoot Me. That's how I met her. She was an actress on Just Shoot Me. Is that legal? Not anymore. It was then. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I owe, I owe everything to Steve. And he's a wonderful, you know, obviously a wonderful writer. He's had you know, so many hits and it's because of his talent. Catherine O'Hara. Another one. Just a, 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 she was a star uh, on a Glenn Martin DDS, one of the voices. And what a talent. So the, the original character we had for her was, eh, it was okay. But once we had Catherine attached, like, no, no, we got to blow this character out of the water. We got to make her crazy because Catherine is so amazing. And she's just hilarious. And much to her credit, there were days where she goes, you know what? Uh, at the record, she goes, I got to, I got to leave at two o'clock today. Sorry. I got to pick up my son from, from school, you know? And it was like, oh, I respect that. See you next time. <laughs> Joey Diaz. Joey Coco Diaz. He did a, a guest spot on Marin. <laughs> and he was so funny. I think you can hear takes, you know, I'm in Video Village, so I'm in the next room watching. You know, literally, he's on set, and I'm in the next room watching, and I think you can hear me laughing. <laughs> like, I'm, the, I'm ruining the takes because I'm laughing so hard. And so we wound up using, uh, developing a show for him for Fox uh, many years later. And, and the guy's crazy. <laughs> the guy's crazy. <laughs> and how many days did you meet when he wasn't high? <laughs> I don't know if he was, but he would say things like, he would say things to me like, uh, he goes, you know, Mike, it's kind of like when you're, when you're doing, you're snorting an eight ball. I go, no, no, Joey, slow down. I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> take it back. Take it back a step. <laughs> I think he's one of the hardest people to follow in comedy. Just so oh. mm -hmm. Kevin Nealon. Oh, God. Honestly, Kevin is really one of the sweetest men. 
in Hollywood. Just a, a delightful, he, what a wonderful person he is. I, not, for, not like a wonderful star, what a wonderful person he is. Just a real gentle, sweet, very, he's a pleaser. He's a nice guy. Just a great guy. Broken Lizards. Broken Lizard. So yeah, those are the comedy troupe. They made a bunch of movies, but I, I have tremendous respect for those guys because most of the people I work with are Hollywood insiders. They come up through Hollywood the way you're supposed to come up, but not those guys. You know, they just, they came with kind of the indie route. They just made it happen themselves and they kind of manifested their own career. And so they're just sweet, talented guys. I really love working with them. Great guys. Brad Williams. Brad, he's, he's a great guy. Easy, again, very funny, strong point of view. It was a pleasure working with him, yeah. D.L. Hughley. D.L., so yeah, we did a pilot for him for FX. Talk about, like, if you told me D.L. graduated summa cum laude from Harvard, I'd be like, yeah, of course, he's that bright, but he's not. I mean, he didn't come, you know, he, he grew up in Compton, and uh, you know, I don't think he went to college at all. He's incredibly bright and incredibly uh, just knowledgeable and just, a, he was a pleasure. What I really was most impressed by him was how honest and truthful he was. We did a pilot that it was all based on his life and like the things he said and did were like, oh dude, you, you can't say that out loud, but the, he was, that's him, he's honest. And that's what's so brave about, that's why my partner like working for comedians, it's just their bravery. Definitely the honesty and the bravery. Yeah, they'll do anything. They'll say anything for a laugh. Mark Marin. Mark. The reputation we had when we ran his show was like, you know, here's a really difficult comedian. But he really wasn't that difficult at all, to be honest. I mean, he had a, he had a temper and we went toe to toe a couple of times, which is pretty funny, but a uh, very generous guy. Like he gave a lot of people their first breaks. He was just a very generous people. I don't think people know that about Mark, how, how, just how generous he is. Absolutely. Your partner of over two decades, Siebert Blarum. He's like a brother to me. He's an incredible, incredibly talented writer, very like a great head for story. And I recognize that the minute I read his first pilot, I go, oh no, this guy's, because we were a competition with each other. We were signed independently by the same agent. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to beat me. He's, he's better than me. But I, like, I'd be a fool not to team, team up with this guy. So uh, he's just been a wonderful friend and, uh, you know, and, and, and just yeah, obviously partner. And, and it's really, um, it's so much, it's interesting to work with him because we just have so much trust for each other now. It's been a pleasure. I owe, I owe him so much. Get smart and the twilight zone. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was my original screenwriting teacher. I wanted to learn screenwriting. I didn't want to learn from a professional teacher. I wanted to learn from a guy who had the job that I had, that I wanted. Was that Bill Edelson? Yeah. And so he wrote on Get Smart and, and Twilight Zone. And yeah, very, he had an interesting approach for story. So it was really wonderful. Last one, a paper orchestra. Paper orchestra. Yeah. So that's my pet project. Thank you, Barry. That's my pet project. And now it's been, you know, I've been, I've been blessed to have a long career in TV, but I just got to a point a few years ago. I was like, I just, you know, when you're working, when you're on TV, the analogy is like, I'm a racehorse and I have a jockey on my back slapping my ass to go faster, go faster, go in a circle, going, you know, faster, faster. And that's the network or the studio. That's whoever's paying me. And I get it. That's what they want me to do, run. And then I just got to this point where I wondered what I could do if, if I would just ran on my own without anybody slapping my ass, without weighing me down, how fast could I run? Where could I run? In a field, how fast could I go in a field? And so that was what this was about. Like, how, what could I write even without my partner, with it, just myself? And, and it was interesting as I started doing more and more of it. In, in college, I tried to get into creative writing program twice. I applied twice and I was re rejected twice because I wasn't good. 
I, I, I simply wasn't. And now that I've written all these pieces, this is the, that's the name of my forthcoming collection of personal essays. And so now I'm the writer. It took 30 years, but I'm the writer I wanted to be in college. And I just feel it. And it's just like, damn, it took this long, but I, I'm, I'd be, I'd be so happy for, if I knew then, I'd be so happy for myself, you know, that I, I can do it now. And so that's the book that's coming out. And I'm basing my, my one-man show. It'll be opening in LA this summer, this July and August. And uh, for tickets, you can go to michaeljammon.com slash live. Awesome. Your proudest moment in show business. I remember on Just Shoot Me, we were working on a script, my partner and I, and we, it was this moment. It was the first time I wrote a joke that just crushed. And so we, you know, we put in the script, obviously my partner were working together. We put it in the script. And then I remember I'll be on the floor and I knew this big joke was coming. It was, it was more than just a joke. It was a big moment um, in, in this episode. And I was so looking forward and I turned to the audience. I didn't watch the stage. I just watched the audience because I wanted to watch the reaction. I, I'll just never forget that that was, it was the first time I made this huge laugh. And I was like, ah, I'm in the right place. I can do this. I can do this. And so, and that was like, whatever, year three of my career, but that was a big moment for me. You know, that was, I was more proud of that. You know, like when I die, that'll be the moment I go, ah, I did it. I'm in the right place. I, I deserve to be here. That's what, that's what, that maybe that's what it was. I deserve to be here. Yeah. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. There's a long string of disappointments. Like every time you turn on a pilot, you go, this is the one. And then just never the one because, you know, the, the vast majority of pilots do not get made and they really have nothing to do with the quality of the script or the writer. They're just business. Most of them are business decisions, what they're looking for then, what they think they can pair with. And so there's been a, a whole series of disappointments and then, but you just do it again. You get back up and that's the, that's the thing, you, you know, it's about getting back up and just writing more. This is something I don't normally ask here, but what is it that you could tell the audience are helpful hints on how to pick yourself up off the ground after you've gotten the shit kicked out of you mm. and get back to the computer and start banging the keys again? It's a hard industry for all of us. Uh, Hollywood is hard for all, all, everyone here. And if you don't enjoy the process of writing, if, if you're not willing to write for free, then the career of writing it, writer is not for you because if you don't enjoy doing it, you know, I, I, there's so much work that I have to do for free. And if I don't enjoy the, the process of doing it, you know, find something else to do. But in terms of getting back up, it's just like, well, part of it, this is my career. So it's like, I have to make money to, to feed my kids. So I really don't have much choice, uh, but also, but creatively, it's like, well, this is what you signed up for. You can do this. You can do it. Awesome. And also there's a, the point as we talk about, it's like, I think so many people are asking for permission. Please, Hollywood, let, let me into your club. Let me do this. Stop asking for permission. Do it anyway. Just do it. Why are you asking for permission? With social media, you can do whatever you want. You can put up on YouTube whatever you want. Why are you waiting for it? And you, and you don't need a fortune to do it. You need a, a cell phone to shoot it on. You, oh, are you, but I have a movie that requires a cast of 10,000 people and I'm going to shoot it on a battleship. Well, don't write that then. Write a movie that takes place on a park bench with two people. You know, you can do it. Awesome. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town, probably like you from a broken home or not, and uh, <laughs> yeah. has like a dollar and a dream, but how to figure out how to move forward and have the kind of extraordinary career that you've had? You know, with the internet, there's so much free stuff out there that you can get. You have to be just willing to 
to get it. You know, I, I post tips on social media every day and people ask me questions and, and I'm like, I've already answered this. Like all the information, just scroll through my feed. It's all there. It's all there. You know, I got a podcast. I got to go get it. And, but some people just, they don't want to look. And so those people, they're not going to make it. But the people who do, who put all the effort and work into it, you got a huge advantage because there are other, most people are just dreaming. It's like everyone thinks it's impossible to make it in Hollywood and it's hard, but most people are just going to dream about it. You have to understand that. Very few people are actually going to do the work. Do the work and you already have a huge advantage. Michael, this is incredibly impactful. I'm so grateful you took the time and I'm so glad we scheduled this. This is an honor. So thank you, Barry. It really is. I'm really grateful to you. And I, I hope that some decade, some year, some month, I have the honor of working with you again. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> for, for both our sakes. <laughs> Thanks, pal. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you. 
to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.